This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. All right. Looking at that picture uh, brings back a lot of good memories. So this is uh, three years ago, I think it is, daddy-daughter camp out three years ago, which a lot of us get to partake in and enjoy. So, you know, I have world-renowned fried rice. I mean, they speak about it even in China, (laughs) I think. You know, it's, I kind of look at it like this. Have, is there anyone in your family that's ever said, you make the best sandwiches? You ever heard that before? Well, anyone can make a sandwich. They just don't want to, right? So I think that's why my fried rice is world-renowned. It's because nobody else wants to do it, right? They'd rather just eat it and put up with it. So there, there is, you know, you can learn a lot from a picture. Uh, a few things I think about when I look at this is vultures. Uh, just ready to pounce. Or Brian might be like a USDA inspector. (laughs) It's like, uh, Dane, that's uh, not quite right, which he doesn't do. But that's a lot of good memories in that picture, and we've done that several years now. But the reason I show it to you is because this, you know, world-renowned fried rice uh, isn't anything special. It's, It's a few ingredients. Anybody could do it. I'll tell you my secret. I use rice, chicken, uh, a mixture of vegetables. Now, you want to hear this one. Garlic. (laughs) And lots of garlic. Simple ingredients. Anybody could do it, right? Could make that same fried rice. And a little love. Sprinkle a little love in there, and it goes a long ways. Uh, I... There's a couple other things I take to my advantage is I make sure that everyone's good and hungry and it tastes better usually. And then also camping. When you're camping, I mean, you could eat a raw duck probably and it would taste good. Something about when you're camping is just delicious. So a few simple ingredients brings this fried rice home. All the girls seem to eat it and uh, choke it down and no one really complains. A few simple ingredients. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, is a few simple ingredients, a recipe for success, okay, in, in spiritual terms. So, <clears throat> we look here at Acts 2 and 40, and if you remember, or we're here for my lesson a month and a half ago or so, we spoke about the day of Pentecost, and, and it was actually, I spoke on the, what, the day of Pentecost, and so we talked about the definition of that, the significance So here in Acts chapter 2, we find that devout Jews from every nation are gathered together under this Roman Empire to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate delivery. Devout men from every nation are here. As we see that Peter, if we go through Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches an inspired sermon and It says that they were pricked in their hearts, and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Okay? It says, Peter answered them, 
to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what happened after that? Well, right after that, in Acts 2, 40 and 41, we find that, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort this group, saying, to save yourselves from this crooked generation so that so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls to the church. Amazing event that just happened. What just happened was the birth of the New Testament church. We just saw it be born. Amazing. This transition from the men who were there physically that put Jesus on the cross were pricked in their hearts, and they were transformed by the power of the gospel. An incredible event. So, what happened next? Devout men from every nation were gathered together. 3,000 souls, it said, obeyed the gospel and were baptized. But, but then what? Is the church still successful today? Yeah. It's still alive and well. What did they do after this transition took place is what I want to look at. You know, the real test of our Christian fortitude is not when we recognize and submit to God in obedience to the gospel. It's the fortitude that we have to live it out the rest of our lives. I find that that's more challenging for a bunch of people to do you know, that 3,000 could come and say, yes, I recognize that I'm sinful and I need this blood, this sacrifice to redeem me. I want it and I take hold of it. But then to bear that out as 3,000 new believers is crazy to think about. That is difficult. You imagine if we were a church of 3,000 right here that had just obeyed the gospel, Jews that had no idea what, what Jesus was completely all about. That would be crazy challenging so they had a recipe for success and I want that to be our recipe in Acts 2.42 it says that they devoted themselves and here's the ingredients that go into this recipe they devoted themselves to the apostles doctrine to fellowship Breaking of bread and prayers. So if you want to know this morning the recipe for living together successfully as the church, I believe these are the ingredients. It's kind of simple to know. It's kind of refreshing to know. It's not some, some uh, challenging, complex formula. We obey the gospel. We continue together in, in the, the, the doctrine, the apostles' teaching. We continue together in fellowship, in, in eating together, and in prayers. Church, that's what we do to be successful. That's what the brand new first beginning church did with 3,000 people that were just added to it. That's what they did. And that's what we should do. And I want to look at, specifically, fellowship this morning. Fellowship. So when you see that word, when, when I said it, what is fellowship? If I asked you this morning... To define fellowship, what would you say? Think about it for a second. Define it. Don't, you, you may have a picture in your mind, but put it to words. 
What is fellowship? Maybe paint a picture in your mind. That's fine. What is fellowship? What is fellowship? So I don't like to do a lot of, you know, I'm not a wordsmith or anything, and I'm not highly intelligent, but here's what we find that the Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary says, the definition of, a modern definition of fellowship, gives us three kind of options. So A, B, and C, companionship, company, association, uh, B, a community of interest, activity, feeling, experience, uh, a unified uh, a body of people of equal rank, sharing in common interests. Again, this is not a biblical definition. This is what the world defines it, or the, you know, our, our dictionary defines it. <coughs> C is a partnership or membership. And three ideas can be taken from these three different, you know, kind of definitions of it. One is fellowship means being part of a group. No doubt, a body of people. It takes a group of people to make a fellowship. Two, fellowship means having or sharing with others certain things in common, right? Sure, that makes sense. But number three says that fellowship can indicate a partnership which involves people working together. So we're going to look at two aspects this morning of fellowship. Two, what I would say, two definitions of it. But before we get into those two definitions, we're going to look at where did I base this study off of? Where do I get my information from? All right, I'll just break it down to you real simple. So when I study the word fellowship, I look it up in a Greek lexicon or concordance, and I, and I look up the word fellowship. Uh, New King James uses the word fellowship in some verses, and, and, or in verses, and, and maybe the ESV might use another word that has a similar meaning. But when I look up the word fellowship, it pops up a, a tabulation of so many words and, it, and, it, and the verses. Well, if I, if on my program that I use, I can click on that word and it can show me the Greek meaning, the definition of it, the word that it derives from. And it also gives you a number that's associated with that. So I find all the places that it's used and then I look for that number, that reference to the Greek word, and I plug it in. Okay, when I plug it in, it might pop up verses that have the word fellowship, but it might also populate words that, that, that not the specific word fellowship, but a word that is very closely associated with it, all right? So my point is that there are many different words that's used to represent this idea of fellowship. And it's important to understand fellowship the way that they would use the term. Okay, it is important for this. I'm not, again, I'm not going to get into some huge word study with you. But looking at these words, these are all root words or uh, maybe a noun, a verb, or an adjective meaning the same thing. Okay, so all four of these top words here to the far left is the Greek word for a tran any, any one of these eight translations on the bottom. So if you want to know what fellowship is, you need to study those four Greek words at minimum. Okay, when you do, those eight English words at the bottom is what you'll find. Okay, now that, those eight words paint a really good picture of what God and his word defines as fellowship. Is that, are we tracking somewhat with that? So, you can't just look up the word fellowship in English and, and get what God wants you to know about it. Take some research. So, when I did that, I found these eight words specifically are associated together 
meaning essentially the same thing. Okay? So communion, distribution, communication, partakers, fellowship, uh, partners, contribution, and companions. So when I asked you how would you define fellowship, were any of those words in there? Is that what you pictured when you pictured fellowship? I imagine Kit, I shouldn't have said Kit out loud, uh, that's what I was thinking, but I remember, I imagine that some of you were thinking of the potluck last weekend, right? That was good fellowship, right? That's what we typically think of, but we don't typically think of, of fellowship as communion or a contribution. I'll give you an example in 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, Paul here uses the word fellowship twice, but both times is a different root word or a Greek word. Okay? He says, uh, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship, okay, that's one time he uses it, what fellowship has righteousness with darkness? And then he says, and what communion... See that? See how they're, they're used in a similar way. What communion has light with darkness? So what fellowship, you could use fellowship there just as easily. Or what partaker, who would partake in light and in darkness, in other words? So we see that fellowship goes far beyond this idea of our modern idea of we share a common interest and we hang out. It's far beyond that. It's communion, communing together. It's partnering with each other. So of the two, let's start out with the first one. And when I find it, when I look at this fellowship, I find two, we dig into it and find two basic principles with this idea of Christian fellowship or God's design for fellowship. When I see in Acts chapter 2 that they continued in fellowship, this is what he means, okay? Number one is, is a relationship, okay? This is the easy one. This is the one that's natural, Right? All of us realize that in order for us to you know, have fellowship, with, we have to be, be together somewhat. We have to have a relationship to some degree. Okay? So we become a family. This is a pretty basic principle that all of us get, I think. And, and a few verses to highlight that are uh, 1 Corinthians 1.9. It says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son. So you are called into the family with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 John 1 and 3 says similar thing. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, that you may be part of us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So we become a family because of Christ, Right? We, become in, we come into a relationship because of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 uh, through 14 and verse 27. Uh, these, this verse here is real telling. Uh, Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of this one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. When you're baptized into Christ, you become a member of his body, which is his family. We become sons and daughters of the Father. Right? That's not difficult. Uh, a very almost identical verse Paul uses to the Roman church 
He says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. We're different. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually. I love how he says it here in Romans, that we are individually members one of another. We are connected to each other with a bond that is like the bond that I have with my daughters. They have my blood going through their veins. Their DNA is, is part of my DNA. Right? We're family. Well, we're family because we're connected with the blood of Christ. We have his DNA, his code written on our hearts. And so we're connected as family, just like blood family, and even stronger, even stronger, that we are members one of another. That is fellowship. That is one aspect of fellowship. Now, the reason there's two aspects of this is because even though uh, the girls are my girls and we have our blood coursing through our veins, it's the same to some degree. Our DNA is matched. Someday they may, they may hate me and alienate me, some, which I don't know which of the four would be the first one to do that. I'm trying to think, but... They, they may, I may do something to upset them, and they may want to, I think you can even file paperwork maybe and say that you're not related to this person anymore. Nothing can change the fact that our blood, our DNA is shared, but we cannot have a relationship at all. We may be related, but no relationship at all. Now, just this is the issue with the, the first point, is though we are related because of Christ, we can, too, fall out of relationship with each other. So just because we were once, a t- just like this early church, just because we were once upon a time baptized into this body and related to one another and we share this blood, we, too, can be separated from a lack of relationship. So relationship alone isn't good enough for fellowship. The fact that we were baptized into this body together isn't enough to secure it. Does that make sense? It's not enough. The second aspect, though, is what's critical to fellowship. It's what surprised me when I studied this and challenged me greatly. The second aspect is partnership. So we're related by the blood of Christ, and nothing can change that. But unless we partner with one another, we, we don't have fellowship. I want you to imagine, so we have a lot of business owners in the audience this morning, right? There's a lot of business owners, a lot of people that operate their own business. You take that business very seriously. I, I do. So would you just imagine you, you needed a business partner to help you run and operate this business? You're going to be very particular. Just think about it. For those of you especially who are business owners, you're going to be very particular. You're not just going to just pick anybody to be your business partner. You want somebody who's going to put equal dedication, somebody who has a passion for it just like you, somebody who works hard, who is there, who shows up, who is trustworthy. Uh, Taking on a business partner is a huge venture because you're sharing your life together. That's huge. So, why would we treat the church any differently? 
we're united by the blood of Christ, but then we're to partner with one another. It's a partnership. If we applied this business idea to the church, how good of a business partner would you be? Would anybody want to partner with you? Those are challenging thoughts to ask, but they're thoughts that I asked myself in preparing for this. Let's look at some verses that outline or define, describe what partnership looks like according to, the, to God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. We looked at this already, to the doctrine, to the teaching, to the fellowship, the eating together, the breaking of bread, and prayers. But the key here is that they devoted themselves. For you and I to be in partnership with each other in the body of Christ, we have to devote ourselves to it. The early church was successful in bringing about new Christians because they were devoted to the work. Without devotion, our fellowship will break down. That blood tie that we have through Christ is not good enough by itself. The early church devoted themselves to these things. Devoted themselves. Are you devoted to the body of Christ here and abroad? Are you devoted to being a partner with everybody here? They continued steadfastly in these things. I think it's important to note, too, that they didn't just continue in fellowship. As a body of Christ, it's important that we continue in the doctrine that God wants us to know. We have fellowship with one another because we're united by that doctrine. We're united by prayer. See, these are staples that make fellowship possible. These are staples that make fellowship what it should be. If we don't come together and worship God the way that they did by recognizing his word, by eating together, and by praying together, then our fellowship is not going to be effective. These are key principles in, in effective fellowship. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24. This verse, is we, I've used it a lot. Uh, it really resonated with me in studying for this lesson because it says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. How in the world can you stir me up to good works and love if you don't talk to me or see me? How is it possible? Is that blood tie that we have good enough alone to stir me up to good works? Is it good enough? No. It's not. It's not good enough. And then it says that to not neglect the meeting together. It's, we often look at this as a negative, you know, or, or sometimes we feel guilty. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't want to neglect the meeting of us together. I, don't want to, I know what the Bible says about this, and I don't want to do that. But it's more than that. It's more than just not being here. Right? It's more than just, it's because we need each other. It, we cannot have this fellowship that's outlined here in Acts ch chapter 2 if we're not together. It cannot happen. It's a requirement for success. We see here in Acts 4 later on as the church is growing, it says that they prayed and that they continued to speak the Word of God. As we found in Acts chapter 2, those are two of the principles. They prayed and they had the Word of God handy. Then he goes on 
Now listen to this. He says, now the full number of those who believed because of these things, because of this prayer and continuation of doctrine, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Now I want to challenge us this morning, each one of us, to examine whether you think we are one heart and one soul. If somebody came in and visited with us and, and maybe came a few times and got to know us or just moved into the area, would they say that group of Christians is of one heart and one soul? Think about that. Would they? That's what, the, that's what they could say about this group of Christians. Somebody noticed that they were so close and had such a tie that they were of one heart and one soul. Imagine if somebody came and visited us and one time and they left and they found our Facebook page or Google account or whatever they, not Google Calendar, I guess they don't have access to that, but whatever, however you reach people nowadays, you know, and they left a review and said, man, that Alma congregation, they were of one heart and one soul. That's what we want to accomplish. That's what God wants us to accomplish. I, I'm confident of that. They were of one heart and one soul. In Romans 15, a couple verses here, says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice, this is that unified shout, as it talked about before, one voice glorify God the Father, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. This is that family aspect that we be together and we become one and that's the goal that the desire here ultimately is not so that we just get closer together and become better buddies but ultimately that we as the church glorify God that's exactly what he says here that we have this unified voice this one voice for the glory of God if we want to live and breathe and function as a church for the glory of God then we have to be one and, re- and fellowship is required for that. Partnership is required for that. 1 Peter 4, 7-11 through 11 says, The end of all things is at hand. And he gives us some instruction here. Be therefore self-controlled, because the, the end is at hand. Sober-minded. And he says, above all, above all, though, the end is at hand, but above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And later on down, it says, in order that everything, in everything, God may be glorified. Our love for each other should be on display and should be real and evident so that God may be glorified. So our fellowship together is, is much stronger and much more powerful than, than we, what we might even imagine. You know, a, we want desire a closeness and a bond with one another, maybe some shared interests, but our ultimate interest should be that God is glorified. So when we think about not neglecting the meeting of ourselves together, we realize that the neglecting of it hinders our ability as a church to glorify God, potentially. That's how important fellowship is. That's how important our partnership is. Now, fellowship can be challenging. It can be messy. You've got a lot of people here, a lot of personalities, a lot of differences. But in that, in our coming together, in our fellowshipping, you know what there is? There's a constant dying of self, isn't there? In order for us to get along well for any period of time, (laughs) 
There is a constant denying of self, isn't there? Each of us have got to put ourselves at bay for the glory of God. And that's hard. But God says that's required of us. Your quirks and your differences, sometimes I got to put up with. Sometimes you got to put up with some of mine, or, and you got to be forbearing and long suffering and patient, right? We see all the fruits of the Spirit come into play in our fellowship, and that's strengthening us and making us better for the glory of God. But it, I think sometimes we, this, we have this watered down idea of fellowship is just we get together because we enjoy a sport of the same nature or because we enjoy an activity of the same nature. Or the fact that uh, we like to go backpacking or something shouldn't be the gist of our, our fellowship. It shouldn't be what drives it. And it's watered down, I'm afraid, uh, and we expect it to be, like, perfect. You know, we expect fellowship to be so natural and just flow and everybody's happy and there's never any quarreling or I never get frustrated with Jason, you know, or the, the kids, they're a wreck. <laughs> Not my kids, uh, sorry. The, your kids are a wreck, you know, right? We, we expect fellowship just, right? We, we think that because we're the body of Christ, we come together, all is perfect and hunky-dory all the time. No, folks, it's not. It's ugly at times, but it doesn't mean it shouldn't happen. Remember that. It doesn't mean it shouldn't happen. Paul addresses almost every church that he writes to about an issue of their fellowship. He reproves the church at Corinth for quarreling and divisions. He warns the Galatians of the dangers of rivalries and dissensions and divisions. He uh, speaks to two specific people at the church at Philippi and urges them to agree in the Lord. And he instructs the Colossians to forgive each other as the Lord hath forgiven you. You see, our fellowship will be tough. There will be uh, kinks in the system. There will be challenges. But it requires a constant dying of each of us for the glory of God. And when we can do that, when we can bring all these personalities and, and traits and qualities together, not for our own glory, not for our own benefit, but for the glory of God, then people can look at us and say they were of one heart and one mind. They were united together to glorify God. Then it makes fellowship not watered down it makes it powerful and, and God-honoring. And it becomes so much more than our shared interests, which is the goal. So we see it's not always perfect. It can be messy. Uh, Philippians 1, Paul writes, there's some interesting things that we can learn from these three verses or four verses. <clears throat> so we'll read them. He says, I thank my God in all my... This, this, I want you to, as we read these verses, just hear his enthusiasm and his love for this group of people. It just comes out in his words. So hear that this morning. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership. That partnership there is fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He has a lot of love for this congregation uh, and for good reason. He goes on, it says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. I have a great love for you. For you all are partakers. That partakers there is also one of the Greek words that we looked at that's in a reference to fellowship. So these people, 
had, took, had a partnership in the gospel and were partakers in the same thing that Paul was. You see why they were so dear to him was the fact that they were his partners. They were partners in the gospel. A much greater purpose than enjoy of, uh, and a love of mountain biking or, or NFL or college sports or the Razorbacks, you know. Right? Much bigger than that. They were partakers. They, Paul knew that they suffered on his behalf. Now, the interesting and most important aspect of all this whole section of verses is this, his imprisonment. So when we look at fellowship, oftentimes we think of being together. Recognize that Paul was in, in great ad, admiration for them. Why? It, was it because they hung out all the time? No, Paul was in prison. And he said, yet they still, they, he knew that they were partners, and they were partners for the gospel's sake. So even though we, we are here in a group of people, we may be partners with another congregation in, in Colorado or California or New York. We can be partnering with the gospel a great distance away from each other. That's awesome to me. That's beautiful that we don't, it's not just us who are doing the gospel work. We are partners with evangelists that go out into all different countries and nations to preach the gospel. We are in partnership and fellowship with them. So it, it makes fellowship more than just, just getting together. It, it, it's a common purpose. And that purpose is the gospel and the glory of God. So we can be in fellowship. He was in fellowship with them, and even in his imprisonment, he had fellowship and a partnership with them. So even when we're not together, we're at our work or at our homes or traveling on vacation, our, our fellowship is not divided. It's not gone. We're still partners with one another because we're trying to advance the kingdom of God and the gospel. Our partnership is based on that and not just us being together. That's important to note. All right, so let's look here at these verses in Acts 2.47. We already mentioned some of these. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayers. We established that. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had in common, and had all things in common, distributing, uh, excuse me, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who would be saved. This is, there's so much information here. I want to highlight just some, some of the words here and look at the dedication that this church had. Look at what they functionally did to, for success, right? Just like my fried rice recipe. This is the church functioning long-term for God's glory. This is the recipe. So we find that they devoted themselves. They, they applied the apostles' doctrine. They applied fellowship. They ate together. They prayed together. And they were just together, right? We find that they were together. They spent time together. And they had all things in common. They were able to distribute as somebody had need. We find that they were selling their possessions. They were distributing. They were day by day, day by day. That's how dedicated and devoted they were to each other, that day by day, they as the church functioned together. They would attend the temple together, and they would break bread in their homes, which they would share a meal. We talked about hospitality recently. And they would have glad and generous hearts praising God. That's a lot. That's a lot. 
That's the picture of success if we want to be successful to glorify God as a body of Christ. That's it. We, we have to devote ourselves to, to correct doctrine that's taught in the Bible. We have to spend time together day by day. I mean, we need to be together often. Uh, we, not, we, we need not to neglect the meeting of ourselves together. That's the reality. If we want to be close and, and united, we need to be together. We need to encourage each other on to love and good works. That requires us being together. Now, the, the key here is the goal of, of our, our being here this morning, the goal of why we raise our children a certain way and why we act a certain way, why we don't, we don't partake in certain things, our goal is so that the church can be glorified, so that God can be glorified and the church grown, right? That's our goal. We want to glorify God, and we want to see many people entered into this family that we enjoy. Well, all those things took place, and look what happened. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And I believe that if we can also have this recipe in our church, and we can apply fellowship the biblical way, the design that we read, that we too will see that God will add those that should be saved because we're doing it for his glory. It's, again, it's far beyond the fact that we have anything in common. We may not have anything in common, but we have Christ in common, and that's enough, and that should be all that matters. So it, it, fellowship is kingdom work. When we look at fellowship and we think about our, our getting together, our potlucks, we love it. We have a, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. I hope everyone understands that. That is part of it and certainly part that grows from our common interest in Christ. So, again, no problem with that. But fellowship, our being together is kingdom work. That simple. To be of one heart and one mind, that glorifies God and that takes fellowship. And that's kingdom work. If we expect to see the same results that they did, then we've got to do what they did. We've got to devote ourselves to it. We have to devote ourselves to the doctrine, to the fellowship, eating together, and prayers. We've got to do those things together. That's their formula. God has, has called us out and put us together for a reason. We're here. Uh, and I believe it's to be his family, to accomplish his purpose both in us and to the world, all of mankind. And let us not forget that when we fellowship, we are sharing, we are partners working together for a goal, and that's the advancement of the kingdom of God and his glory. Now, I thought about a picture of, of what, if you look up fellowship and you try to find a picture of it, what does that look like? What does a picture of fellowship look like? A group of people hanging out? Maybe. I mean, it, but that could be work, right? If you have a, a – uh, we used to have meetings. We'd get together in the mornings, and that could be fellowship. We're sitting around drinking coffee. That's fellowship. What, what – I tried to think of an image that would, that would define what biblical fellowship looks like, and this is the best I could come up with. That, to me, is Jesus, the lead rope, if you will, dragging us all along. And all of us are intertwined with one another. And if you snip – one of those ropes, uh, I, I didn't know if I was going to use this or not, but I will. This is Emmy's blanket, okay? She still loves it, carries it around, sleeps with it. It doesn't do much, <laughs> right? It's not a whole, like, it doesn't provide a whole lot of warmth. 
And this thing started with one thread unraveling. One thread. I have patched and knotted and twisted and tied, and it just keeps unraveling. So we as a church, if, if one of those threads is cut, we start to unravel. So if you think that you're not important in this fellowship process, or if you don't have anything to bring to the table, or you're just not that important, or I don't, I don't have much to offer, well, you're wrong. You are completely wrong because you are a, a knit. You are a thread inside that that Christ is pulling along. And what happens when one gets snipped, you start to, the others get loose. And it, the threads just start to, I don't even know what that's called, if that's crocheting or what, but when you start cutting a knot or a loop, the whole net, the whole thing starts to fall apart, and then you, get, you lose other parts. You see, that's the function of the church. And I think that's why this picture to me, define what biblical fellowship is. And, and, it, and it's with Jesus, with that lead rope, pulling each of us equally, right? And so we're this big partnership together being pulled by Jesus. To me, that's the best definition of it that I could find. Uh, with all that said, fellowship is not our goal. Fellowship isn't our goal. It isn't the end game Unity in Christ is our end game. Okay, but that unity cannot be found and will not be found if fellowship is not enjoyed. It cannot be found unless fellowship is devoted to, I promise. I think if we're each honest with our own lives, we can say that that's true. At times we felt apart, aside, away from the church or family, the body of Christ, we feel lonely on an island, uh, separated. That's painful and it's difficult. That's not what God wants from us, though, or for us. He wants us to be interconnected and intertwined. <clears throat> so if, if our goal is building the kingdom, if you and I said, what is our main purpose in life? What is our main goal? And we can agree that it's kingdom work. I'll ask you, would you want me as a partner? If it was the utmost importance, life and death depended on it, the success of our family, putting food on the table for our family was kingdom work. Would you want me as a partner? Now I'll ask you, would you want you as a partner? In kingdom work, would you want you as a partner? How are you and I currently partnering and participating both locally in the body of Christ and abroad or outside of this congregation? What are you doing to partner takes it beyond that just being together. What are you doing to partner, to be a, a knot in that picture, a thread? Let us not forget that it is Christ, number one, that makes this fellowship this possible. It, it makes the fact that we can be different and even agitate each other and still advance the kingdom, it makes it possible. Remember they... Was it Peter that extended the, extended the right hand of fellowship, it said to Paul, even though he was a persecutor of the church? It's because of Christ and his gospel that has made unity and partnership between us possible. Nothing about our common interests or our goals or our desires or our preferences, our background, our nationality, our intelligence level, our social status, none of those things connect you and I. 
It's the blood of Christ. That's it. And unless we're devoted to furthering that kingdom, our fellowship will not be what it ought to be. If it's anything outside of that, it will be less than what God intends. I believe that wholeheartedly. In Acts 2.42, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Are we confident enough in each other in this kingdom work to be together, to devote ourselves to being together, and if need be, even having all things in common? Would you sacrifice your good for the good of somebody else for the cause of Christ? That's, that takes it to a whole other level. We haven't even talked about that in depth. Would we sell everything? They did. The, the, the New Testament church did. They were that devoted. I don't know what that looks like. You know, some would say that's communism and that doesn't work. But they made it work somehow. They were able to devote themselves to furthering the kingdom. Are you devoted? Am I devoted? Would you make a good partner in this adventure? Would I? I hope this helps each of us to consider the privilege that we have, number one, to be in the body of Christ, first and foremost, to be considered his sons and daughters, to be able to be a family member. And second, I hope that it will spurn you on to look for opportunities to partner with the people sitting next to you, the people sitting behind you, in front of you, and ask yourself, what am I doing to further this relationship, this partnership for the glory of God? I hope these things are encouraging to you. They have been to me. Uh, we have an invitation song at this time that we invite uh, members in the audience to come up that have a need of prayers, that are struggling. Uh, I certainly want you to consider these things, but don't feel obligated this morning to bring it to the front. But do consider uh, this topic and others in your life. If you feel alienated from the body of Christ, uh, we, we want to be here to pray as they did, to pray, to strengthen the body, and to as we read in Acts 2, that how the early church started, they were obedient to the gospel call. They were pricked in their hearts. They said that they wanted to become Christians, and they did that by being baptized into Christ. So if you, if you need to uh, go through that same process, you are pricked in your heart, uh, the front pew is left open for either of those two cases. Again, thank you for your attention, and God bless you. Uh, let's stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.